Welcome to Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast, where we meet experts from all walks of life to learn their intrinsic motivation so that they can share it with the world. What do we have in store today? Stay good tuned morning, to find evening, out. Good more. afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I am David. Today, I believe we are in for such a treat, and I want to give a shout-out to all the listeners that have watched the movie Coco. I don't usually watch a lot of animation, but I highly recommend it. And in that movie, they talk about if you do not acknowledge your ancestors, then they will actually disappear. They will go away in the astral because there's no energy that is keeping them on the third dimension. And with that, I'd like to welcome our guest. She, we're talking about how far would you go to promote your spouse's legacy? And in a day and age where we have over 70% divorce rate, there are a lot, a lot of people that stick together for a long time. And even those that do, they don't devote themselves to preserving their spouse's legacy after they pass away. However, our guest today, Mrs. Marguerite Barra, is in that rare position. She, has, uh, she was married to a freedom fighter who worked as a diplomat and was a worldwide promoter of peace. He was also a physician and scientist credited with a DNA breakthrough. Uh, we're going to talk about their 40-year marriage, and we're going to talk about how it wasn't an ideal marriage on paper. He was Muslim and she was Catholic. How did they make that happen? We'll cover all that and more. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Mrs. Marguerite Barra to the podcast. Welcome, Marguerite. Thank you very much for having me. It's yeah, my pleasure. Uh, my right. pleasure. And so, yeah, 40 years. I mean, if I can do 40 weeks, I think I'm doing a good thing, and that's just in the dating world. And you were married for 40 years, so <laughs> I'm just going to sit down and listen to you and take notes. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you want so, to know about that? <laughs> yes. Well, the first thing, uh, let's talk a little bit about your husband, and then we're gonna, I want to go back into, because I think it, it behooves everyone to, uh, David and I believe that there's no accidents. So I'd love to hear how you guys actually met and how the courting process and all that beautiful stuff is. But tell us a little bit about your husband and why you are so adamant in preserving his legacy? Uh, you know, it's something natural to me because everything has happened so smoothly and uh, we always felt that we are not two, we are one doing things. You see, so that's so natural. And I think, as you say, there is no coincidence, no accident. It's like God's work. You know, it's the Lord wanted us to be together. And he has a mission, a purpose for that. And uh, that we are, we are trying to do and, I, and continue to do. You see, that's, that's it. Is it. I love it. <laughs> is it clear enough for you or you want more explanation? Well, no, I think that's a good start because, you know, if we keep it really simple, I think it's really simple. And yes. if we make a lot of twists and turns and it makes it uh -huh. difficult and life isn't meant to be difficult. And no. you realized you were on the same page and yes. you fulfilled your destiny that way. Yes, absolutely. So uh, how did you meet Mr. Barra? 
Oh, it's so, it's like, as I told you, it's something just incredible because it was, uh, you know, I was studying pharmacy in uh, Paris uh, because I have my own, my high school, and uh, my degree is from St. Marie de Neuilly in Paris, and then I started studying uh, pharmacy in Paris. And it was May 1968. There was the French turmoil, revolution in Paris. No, no, no birth, no, nothing. And people were in the street and no class, nothing. And it was at the time of General de Gaulle. And my parents said, okay, so you cannot stay anymore there. I, we have to take you to Switzerland. It's going to be more stable, <laughs> a more stable country and you are continuing to study there. So <clears throat> the Lord took me to Switzerland, and I start again studying pharmacy in Lausanne, Switzerland. And uh, my uh, uncle was a uh, uh, un- uh, representative to the United Nations, like ambassador to the United Nations, and I used to, to commute between Lausanne and Geneva because it was my only family there, so I was commuting on weekends uh, between Lausanne and Geneva. And one weekend, it happened that I was there because also I couldn't pass my exam because of the flu. So I was more free and I was more able to commute. So uh, I was just uh, walking down the stairs and someone opened the door because it was two stories. Uh, and then the, usually the, the children we live in the lower level and the parents and, uh, you know, and the upper level. So I was walking the stairs and someone opened the door and I say hello and I continue walking down the stairs. And then uh, the following weekend, I, I came to, to visit with my family, my uncle and my aunt, and uh, I was going to go to, to Montpellier to see my brother. He was at the time in France in Montpellier. And my aunt will tell me, I say, well, I'm going to leave now. I will be back tomorrow. And she said, no, you can't. I say, why I can't? And she said, well, your uncle has some plans for you. Some plans? No, tell him that, no, 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 it's not possible. I'm not going to have my, my brother wait for me all night. And tomorrow, I'm going to, to be back tomorrow. And that's it. Just tell him that that's not possible. So I went to, to the train station. I took my train. I went to Montpellier. And when I came back the following day, my uncle was mad at me. He said, well, I told you, I told you to, to say, I said, no, it was not possible. So here I am. If you want, because as I didn't pass my exam, I was like uh, in an internship in a pharmacy. So I said, call the pharmacist. Tell him that your niece cannot come and do whatever if you want to have. He said, well, because I had a dinner, and I want you to attend that dinner, and you are not there, here. And I said, okay, please, uncle, don't be mad at me. Just, you know, you can call the pharmacist and tell him that I need my niece. And so because I have something special to do, and she will be, instead of being Monday, she will be uh, back to Lausanne on Tuesday. It's okay, I'm going to do that. So Monday night... (laughs) surprise, uh, dinner, <laughs> and they, uh, I was next to a gentleman, the same gentleman that I met uh, like the week before. They put me, they put me next, and uh, I was surprised. I said, that's the gentleman that I met two weeks before, uh, the week before. Uh, so we start talking about different things, 
And uh, so that's the way it happened. He, was, he told me that, you know, he was like, uh, he, he, was, uh, he was a former professor at Yale Medical School. And uh, he was, when he was a, a scientist uh, uh, studying at uh, uh, IU, Indiana University, he was working the lab next to uh, James Watson, the one where James Watson has worked. That the DNA, the, found, the founder of DNA. So I say, wait a minute, I'm struggling with my biology classes, and he's, uh, <laughs> what is he doing, that gentleman? It's just incredible. <laughs> so I was like surprised, and we talk about history and different things. And uh, he said, well, do you mind if I invite you for a tea some, uh, in a tea room sometime? I said, just ask my uncle, and I will be pleased to do that. And that all, all starts that way. <laughs> That's my story. He asked, wow. in fact, if you want to, uh, uh, the, the behind of the scene story, when he saw me, he asked my, husband, uh, my uncle if he could uh, officially meet me because he thought that uh, I was the, 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 the person, the, you know, the lover of his life. He had something for two seconds. <laughs> two seconds, that's it. <laughs> and my I uncle, love it. You know, my I love uncle it because tried. it sounds like, um, it, it sounds a lot like uh, you're still in that moment. I mean, like you're right there when you guys met, and yes. it's really cool to envision uh, you yes. walking through those steps. Yes, that's it. That's the story. That's the way it started. It, it's funny because uh, did you notice after you guys started dating, I've been in situations where I was dating a, a young woman, and we were in the same in different countries at the same time we lived in the same like uh, apartment complex at the same time you know did you notice before that uh, you guys may have been in, in certain areas together you just didn't know it it wasn't the time for you to meet at that time uh no because it, it, everything was new to me and then something that i forgot to tell you the first time that when then we when we met and then we have uh, that uh, we went the the you know as you said next to the lake geneva lake a beautiful place beautiful setting and this case uh, i would like to ask you a question i would i would like you to be my wife i say i think it's a little bit premature <laughs> 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 I cannot answer this question. It's a little bit premature. Oh, that's what I say. It's a, okay. Can I have your phone number? I say, of course. Yeah, I'm going to give you phone, my phone number because he was, in fact, in an official visit. They were going to with the president of Fouette of Côte d'Ivoire to a special visit to the Queen of Netherlands, Queen Juliana at the time. And so he was just in Geneva for a few days, you know. And uh, so, and he lives in, the, in Côte d'Ivoire, and he will travel to visit with me in, Geneva, in Lausanne. So that's what he was doing. He was already a diplomat when I met him. Uh, okay. So, Ms. Vera, it sounds like the fact that you were Catholic and he was Muslim was never a problem. No. No. You know why? Because uh, when I was a young girl, you know, as... You know, uh, every single young girl will dream about a charming prince. And what I was asking the Lord, because I have been in a, a Catholic family, a believer, really my mom was really, 
you know, strong believer, fervent Catholic, and I'm, I'm a fervent Catholic. And uh, I always ask the Lord, you know, I don't want anything, but the only thing that I will ask you, if you can put on my way a believer, someone who believes, because any faith but a believer, because we are we human beings and we make mistakes all the time. But a believer, someone who has in transpect, uh, we have inner life, really an inner life, he will do a mistake and he will say, okay, this is wrong. I have to correct myself and do something different right away. You know? So uh, he's not going to lie to himself and he's not going to lie to others. So that's the only thing that I'm asking from you. So I was absolutely okay with that as soon as I saw that he was a believer. And I will even remind him if the time was for his door prior, after prayer, any prayer, I will remind him. And he will come back as a new person. Because that to me is so important. You know, because you can do, we are so fragile. We are human beings. We do mistakes all the time. But if we live our life, you know, on the light of the Lord, we are different. And we feel different. That's yeah, you saw right through the illusion. <laughs> the illusion is you... that we are separate. The illusion is that we are separate. And you noticed that and you saw through that. You saw the oneness. And that's where you were able to make that connection with your husband. Mm-hmm. You see that it's important because, you know, and all religions teach the love of God or the love, the love of our neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you can be Muslim, you can be Jewish. doesn't matter. You can even be Buddhist. Buddhists, they are taught to be, you know, good deeds, to do good deeds. So that's enough. We don't want more. So I was not surprised to have, that when my husband told me that he was a Muslim, it was fine to me, as soon as he was a believer and practicing his faith, you see. That was important to me. Mm-hmm. And I think the argument would be that you are in – I always notice this when I go on vacation. Like if I go to Miami or if I fly – I always judge airports. So if I fly into Denver or fly into Miami or L.A., everyone, there's a, a vacation spot. So a lot of people are in a different mode. And it sounds like you were that way going to Geneva as well. I mean, Switzerland is gorgeous. Do you think that would have happened if you guys met in the middle of Wisconsin? And no Absolutely. offense to Wisconsin. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely, because, you know, it was something about, uh, above us. Myself, when I say, because when I saw him also, something happened. But maybe I didn't tell to myself. I was young. I was 22. So, and it was the first time something like that was happening to me. And uh, so I said to myself, it's weird. Something happened. So uh, the thing that I didn't tell you, I asked my aunt after, ele- uh, after I came upstairs, I said, who was that gentleman? Oh, she said, I don't know. Uh, your uncle met so many people. I didn't see him. But in fact, he was used to come to, uh, to that house, uh, you know, and in fact, he needed something for the, the official visit. So that's why he came. My, my uncle was, uh, you know, close to him and something. But at the at the real moment when I saw him, something had happened, and, but I didn't know what. He's, yeah, the one who, who, he's the one who, you know, climbed, <laughs> climbed the steps towards me. I didn't, you know, because I didn't know what was going on at all. 
It, where it sounds like a little bit, if it were a movie, you were in a castle and you let your hair down. You, <laughs> you were Rapunzel. <laughs> he told you to, when he opened the door, he just was waiting for that moment. No, I was not, in fact. <laughs> I was reminding my own business. I was not at all, you know. And that's why the Lord surprised you doing things that when he has his hand on you, because he wants, you, you, we are all in, on a mission. When you want us to do something, we can say, oh, I am able to do it. We, we are not. It's not because of him we cannot. We are just, just illusion that we are doing, doing things. And we are very pretentious that we think that we are doing by ourselves. No, we can't. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. But for the sake of a, a podcast, I do want to ask you some third dimension questions. So, okay. If you were 22 years of age and he was already a diplomat, how much older was he? Ten years older. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, I noticed in other countries outside the U.S., the, the age gap isn't much of a hindrance or taboo as it is here. So your, your family was okay with him being 10 years older than you and already established? Oh, no, you are going to open something. My family, not at all. <laughs> Why do you want to open a box? <laughs> what to open box? Oh, no, you, you read his book. <laughs> Why do you want to open that box? It was terrible. It's terrible. It's not because I did. And I, 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 you know, at the time, I became closer to the Lord because my family, oh, Everything but awful. They didn't want. We have to wait for how many years to be able to get together. But we never, I never been like, I said, it's going to happen if the Lord wants that to happen. That's it. But it was difficult, difficult. We have to impose ourselves. Mm-hmm. Now that that's huge. It's, 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 it's great. Kind of, I think we're going to, that's the theme of this podcast is that, you know, we have, uh, I always say, our will versus God's will. And when you marry the two, life is a lot simpler and you won't go through as many headaches. Uh, no. No. Why will go through many headaches? <laughs> no, I'm saying you wouldn't. If, if you, I mean, you have more headaches if you kind of like, no, this is my way. I'm going to do it my way, like a Frank Sinatra. And yes. you're saying but no, I did. something higher than you. No, that was something I did, and then, uh, you know, the Lord was helping me, so that was, it was fine, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, since he was an ambassador, and he said he was a, a doctor as well, uh, what was he working on to, uh, with this DNA breakthrough? Uh, it, it was working, uh, uh, you want to get into that, it was working, you know, because the principles of DNA, uh, how it works. You know, DNA gives information to RNA, and RNA gives the information to proteins, okay? But mm-hmm. in, the, in that case, what he discovered, and after that, uh, it was uh, Professor Temin will uh, isolate the enzyme and have a novel price about that. What my husband discovered, that some, uh, in some case, some virus, they don't use that strength going from DNA to RNA and to proteins. They, we, they will give the information to DNA. But DNA is a master. 
if it doesn't give the 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 you know the like it doesn't ask the RNA to give the information to the proteins, the the RNA cannot do anything without uh, the DNA permission. And so that's why in that case, instead of the information going to DNA to RNA and to proteins, it went first from RNA to DNA and say DNA say okay to RNA. You can proteins. I'm not the one who had that information first, but I'm okay. You can give that to proteins. And that's what, uh, you know, that retrovirus, like uh, the HIV virus, that's what they use. They don't go straight. DNA gives the information to RNA and protein. No. They, they have the information themselves as an RNA, and they give the information to a DNA, but they cannot act. DNA, I say, okay, act. So RNA will give that information to protein. So he was at the uh, basis of that. Uh, you know, he discovered that, but he didn't. He's not the one who is isolate that enzyme. But because what he said, he was the first one saying that we need an enzyme to do that process. I don't know if it's clear enough. We need that enzyme to do that process. And Professor Temin from Wisconsin discover and isolate the the enzyme, and that enzyme it's called reverse transcriptase. And that was, you know, those retrovirus, the, the, the example, the most important example that we have, many, we have many, but the most known is the HIV virus that uses that strength, you see. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, that's, is that's it phenomenal. enough or is, is it clear enough? It's too complicated or too... No, I think it's clear, but I think that when he was, when he had this, when, when was the time frame? You, when you talk about... HIV virus, we're talking 80s to 90s, and yes. he, I believe he was working on that prior to that. Yes, he was working, but, you know, it takes some time to discover the, the he, 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 uh, he put the idea that they needed that enzyme. He found that the trend has to be that way, but he didn't have the enzyme, and somebody else worked on that. It was Professor Temin and another uh, scientist. And by the time, and they have the Nobel Mastman work in that, in the, like me in uh, 61, you know? And mm-hmm. Professor Temin uh, uh, worked on that later, and this was in 1975 that they have the Nobel Prize on that. And the application was in the 80s. You see, it takes time. When you discover something, it takes time. But my, my husband's article is still on the web, and I saw that, that even they are selling this article about his discovery. You know, they are still selling that because it's the beginning of something. That's why it's a, it was a breakthrough. It's the beginning of something. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with you. It's just I'm thinking more of the, the third-dimensional aspect. And, and, and just my experience, I'm not a scientist, so... I know when, when I, but I've been around scientists, and I know that, like you said, it takes a long time. And you may look at your peers, and they may be not in the same field, and it seems like they're moving a lot further in life than you are, and you're sitting here like, is this ever going to pan out? Did you ever have that uh, disbelief, or, or you always thought you knew it was going to happen all, all along? No, uh, you know, I didn't know. I didn't know at all. 
I didn't know at all. You see? Hello, did, can did you, you Yeah, I can hear you. I'm just thinking that, you know, before when the breakthrough happens, you're like, oh, yeah, I knew it was always going to happen. But there were years where it just seemed, seems like you were at, at a stalemate. And I was just wondering what pushed you guys through to continue your life's work. No, it was not me, because at the time when he did that, I, I, I didn't met my husband. He did that in the 60s, and I met him in, in uh, May 30, 1970, you know. He was already has done that, and when he has done that, he was hired by uh, Yale, uh, the Yale Medical School, and to be a teacher there. You know, I didn't, at the time, I didn't know him at all. Gotcha. But you with you being in, uh, in studying pharmacy and such, did you continue in that profession or you became more of a housewife? Uh, I, I, I finished my pharmacy when we have different, uh, we know, when I had problems with my parents, I finished my pharmacy and then I became a housewife because my husband, it was too important what he was doing for me to, you know, to, uh, I had my degree. And even I took some more courses in political science to be on the same page. And, but I was more in, like a nice wife after that because it was too important. I had to help him. You know, he has to be, you know, to, I have to be a housewife for him to be able to accomplish what he was doing. And he was doing for world peace. And what, you know, it's important. It's important. And to me, that it sounds important. It sounds really traditional. And it sounds like, you know, that's the way it was. And, I mean, the argument would be that's the way it was in 1970. What would you say to people dating today? Uh, and, and I'm just, I'm not putting words in your mouth. I'm just, what I see is that there's a conflict where the husband may have his life goals and the wife may have, well, what about me? I, I have goals that I want to fulfill as well. And, and sometimes the marriage suffers. So what would you say to those uh, newlyweds in the first few years of their life that may be battling with that challenge? You know, what I would say, you know, they have to make a decision what is more important. What is more important? They are the only ones who can make that decision. That decision. And I never felt that being a, like a housewife, I was like not uh, doing what I should do. I thought that it was my mission to, be, to help my husband doing something for the, for, you know, for others for my neighbor. So you can, uh, sometimes you can put yourself behind and sometimes uh, uh, events will put you forward. You see, you don't have to force yourself to think, oh, I need to be, the, why you need to be. You just ask yourself and make the decision together. Don't be, oh, uh, yes, women, they can do wonderful things, of course. But sometimes they can be behind, sometimes they can, uh, be forced, and they have to when they need to be needed. And the husband, at, the t at that moment, will say, oh, no, my, my wife knows better. She has to be forced. So it has to be, you know, as I say at the beginning of our conversation, we always felt that we are one. So sometimes we have to put one, one side of, uh, of ourselves and uh, sometimes the second side of ourselves to be one. If we feel that, oh, I'm, I'm such and such, I have to accomplish myself. If I don't do that, no, I think that it's very important to study and to have a field, you know, that I thought it's 
paramount because you never know what's going to happen. But for other things, you have to make a decision. And it's so different. Each person is so different. Each couple is so unique. You cannot say, this is the, you know, the, you have to do that. No, you decide. But you know, the most important, you have to be true to yourself. When you are true to yourself, you are true to other person. You are true to your husband. You are true to your wife. So you see, you can say, okay, I would like to accomplish such and such. It will take me like five years. And then let's do such and such, you know, let's do something. And then we want to have children. Okay, so if we have children and the woman who will work all the time and have her children, uh, you know, don't take care of children, uh, I think that for me, women are so important because, you know, maybe you are going to be shocked what I'm going to say. The Lord trusts women because he didn't give a man chance to, to carry a, a baby. Woman. <laughs> woman. You know, you know, it's going to, yes, woman. The Lord trusts women. So they have to take time to accomplish themselves in educating their children, you know, because uh, people are kind of lost sometimes because they didn't have chance to have that love that a mom will give to his child. And then when he is able to go by himself, let him go by himself, you're still surrounding him with love. Lord, the Lord trusts women. I don't, I'm going to go until uh, to say that Lord don't trust men, but he trusts women more. <laughs> <laughs> no argument there no argument you know it's a strength and they don't if they say i want to be accomplished to do such and such to be uh you know uh, i don't know the head of such and such no you are first a woman and the lord trusts you as a woman be a woman hmm. you are we are more women are powerful, very powerful, and they don't know how powerful they are because they want to be such and such. No, they have to be themselves first. That's what I will say to a couple, and they will make their own decision. You see. Yeah, but I, be, I think that's huge. Before being true, and so you are going to be true to others. Sure, and so with uh, in that same vein. I know that I have family that live overseas, and when if they're pregnant with child, uh, they get that a longer maternity leave, and sometimes the, the father will get paternity leave. And in the U.S., they may get two weeks. I mean, it's kind of laughable that that happens. Do you? What would you say? Did you have uh, children in the states, or were you still in Europe when you started your family? But we didn't have any children, but we have a lot of godchildren. And even the last one that I have, it's like two months ago, I say, I'm too old, I'm 71. They say, no, 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 we want you to be the godmother. It's, uh, it's only one year old, but I have like 50 godchildren. We have like 50, you see, and we, they are all special to us. And we take, we, you know, but we, we, we did have children. We wish we could have, but we couldn't. Pass. You see, and you was, we are not like, uh, we say, okay, that's the, what the Lord wants from us, and that's fine, you see. You don't have to be despair. So many children without love in the world, 
So if you don't have your own children coming out of yourself, it's not a big deal. You really have to know that, that the Lord wants something different from you. And you have to accept and to embrace that, not to be sad about that. Mm. No, that, that's huge. <laughs> that, 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 that's, a, that's a major theme. And, and like you said, um, when we look back, at, it's 2019, and history, we have a nice way of, of putting a nice picture on it. But at the time, your, your father was a, I mean, your father, your husband was a freedom fighter, as you said. And I'd like for you to talk a little bit about that secret Paris meeting with uh, the PLO leader at the time, Yasser Arafat, uh, with his advisor in the Israeli Council for Israeli-Palestinian Peace, because at the time, I'm sure it was difficult for those groups to get together, and they want to stick to each other's side and have their own opinion and may not have been as, um, I don't know, conciliatory as, we would put it in 2019 terms. But uh, I didn't hear completely your question. What you? What is? Sure. I was just thinking back at the time. Your your father was a. Uh, I mean, your husband was a freedom fighter, and yes. so he met with folks from um, Yasser Arafat's advisor um, in the Israeli-Palestinian peace proposals. And I'd like to talk about what if you could tell us. Uh, what was his role in that, and what was the environment for those two groups to even get together? Yes, but first, my husband was a freedom fighter uh, for Algeria independence, you know, because he's born in Algeria, and he studied medicine in France. And uh, when he was in France, the, 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 the Algerian war broke, and he, he flew, uh, he, no, he, he flew from France to go back to, to fight you know, for his country. So at the time, and then from there, he has, uh, in Morocco, he, he worked as a, a doctor, and he had uh, the opportunity to have a, a Fulbright scholarship to study in the United States, and that's why he went. So he was not, he was first a freedom fighter, still a medical student, and then he came and you know, studying here. So the freedom partner part was the first, first part of his life. He was 17 at the time. Mm. You see what I mean? Okay. Mm-hmm. You see? That was not after. It was, and it was gradual, and that's why in all his life, all his life long, he wanted to work after that, to work for peace. He said, why should we fight? We have to sit and talk, dialogue, instead of fighting, because the Algerian war, there are more than a million of people dead from the Algerian war, or independence from France. So he said, well, this is not worth it. We, are, we just have to sit and talk. And that's why he became, you know, a diplomat when President Houphouët asked him if he want to work, come and work for Côte d'Ivoire. He was professor at the end Medieval School. He resigned for that because world peace was so important to him. You see? So because he had the experience of war, you know, people, they don't realize that peace is important, when they, have, they don't have the experience of war. War, prison, all those things are hard and make you like a trauma in your mind, in your head, and you, want, you don't want other people to go through that. And that's why he was committed to war peace. And uh, uh, to get to the Palestinian and the Israeli, uh, as he was uh, like, uh, 
ambassador to President Houphouët-Boigny and working also with the Minister of Foreign Affairs. He go to the OIU, uh, that African uh, Unity meetings, to the United Nations, and he met Aissam Sartawi, who was a senior PLO advisor to, yes, uh, to Chairman Yasser Arafat. And uh, Sartawi will ask him, tell him that, you know, we know Côte d'Ivoire, Côte d'Ivoire is president of Fouet-Boigny country, and he's, he's a man of peace. And we like the way he's behaving, but he's always vote, his vote goes like France and the United States. But we know that he has such a, a different way of thinking. And we like him, and we think that we have a, I have a message for him from uh, Chairman Piero, uh, from Chairman Arafat. And my husband, uh, knowing that President Tufuet was very close to the Israeli, because he went in official visit in 1962 to Israel, and he already said that, you know, the Arab-Israeli uh, problem has to be solved uh, by dialogue. And he knows he was respected by all American presidents when uh, he met, my husband met him, and he was introduced to my husband. At the time, he was the guest of President Kennedy, you see? And that's what he asked uh, the, his ambassador to have my husband come and meet him in New York after, you know, his visit with uh, President Kennedy and Jackie Kennedy. So, and he was the host of all American presidents. So my husband thought, okay, he's in good relation with uh, the Israeli. He has the respect of all American presidents. So he can do something. So let me introduce uh, Sartawi to him. So that's what my husband did. He, uh, President Tufat accepts to receive Sartawi, and they became friends. He saw that really Sartawi was a doctor, a um, uh, heart surgeon. He was also freedom fighter. He has his own, <laughs> but uh, heart surgeon. And after all different, you know, the fight that they have, different fight, the 67 war, and he decided also that it's time to have peace with the Israeli. And uh, so President Tufat, they were all doing that in secret because uh, my husband like, was a behind-the-scenes person. He said, well, to be really effective, you don't have to have TV or anything. You have to talk to people quietly, and then they can make a decision. But if you have TV and all those things, they are not themselves. It's like for people to know. No, we want to have results. We don't want to people to know about it, just to say that I have done that, I have done that. You never, you're a very humble person, but you want efficiency, efficiency, efficiency. That's what you want all the time. And so uh, after years and years and years and years of working on that, in 1976, uh, they had that meeting in Paris uh, with uh, General Pellet, who was the head of ICIPP, Israeli uh, Council for Palestine and Israeli-Palestinian Peace Process. Uh, and then uh, the Aysan Sartawi, General Pellet was the, he was the former, you know, he is the one who led the, led the 1967 war, uh, Israeli uh, uh, the, the 67 war, you know. So mm-hmm. after the war also, he thought that it's not worthy 
he has a long process and he decides that it's time to have also peace with the Palestinians. So that was all people who thought we wanted peace. And so that happened just in a relaxed, uh, just in a relaxed uh, you know, setting in the house of someone who wanted to, you know, to be the like, facilitator for that thing. And that's what happened. And you know, 10 years later, uh, like when they have in 1993, the, uh, the, the first, the, the Oslo Accord, it was food from those meetings, takes time from those meetings. And uh, that's the food, even Pellet say, the food of our work when we are doing that work in 1976. And that, you know, you, you, you put the seed and then you let the seed go. You cannot do everything and you don't know if you, even you are going to be here. You just have to do, try to do the right thing and then the food will come. And those uh, gentlemen like Rabin, Arafat, they had, uh, and uh, they're all gone now, and uh, Shimon Peres, they received the Ufwet Boigny UNESCO Prize in 1993. You see, mm. they, they received that prize. And so it's very touching when you read what all of them have to say, that they are really, you know, humble and happy to have that, receive that prize because Ufwet Boigny was what is meant to them. You know, because but my husband was the handyman for President Ufodbani behind the scene. They were all doing all that together. And they, the shake hand that they have at the UNESCO before going to uh, the Ufodbani Prize Prize is something touching. That, you know, you walk behind the scenes, maybe 20 years later, people will understand that mm-hmm. what you have seen years before, it's worthy. But unfortunately, mm-hmm. Rabin was killed. Aysam Sartawi was also killed by the Palestinian, <laughs> Rabin by the, by the Israeli. You see, it, the road for peace is always very dangerous. But when you do that, you don't think about your life. You think about the outcome, what you want to achieve. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that's what my huge. Uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's huge. So. I, I want to ask you, um, when you were studying in pharmacy in Paris and then you moved to Switzerland, there was an environment that your family was like, you need to leave. Uh, it's just too, uh, it's, not, it's not safe. And with your history and knowing that and being in those environments, what would you say about the current environment in 2019? I mean, it seems like there's a lot of unrest, and usually when there's a, a lot of unrest, um, something worse can happen in the future. Are you feeling any similar vibes that you did back then in today's environment? No, you know, uh, things can change, and you don't, uh, my parents at the time thought that way, but I never think that way. You know, you can be any place and something can happen, so uh, you just have to, to stay where you are and do your best where you are. At the time, I couldn't even think about anything. My parents were the one who was making decisions for me. Uh, I was 20, but they say, okay, go to Switzerland, so I will go. <laughs> That's it. But if I, 
any place that you are, something can happen. So no fear at all. Try to do your best in the environment where you are, where the Lord puts you. No fear at all. Never fear. Especially no fear human being. No fear at all. No fear. I think that's another good point, uh, Marguerite, because if you don't have fear, you make a decision when you're in a relaxed state versus making a decision in a fear state. And if you're fearful, you may do something you regret. Maybe, maybe. You know, because if you're a believer, really, you don't fear. You do what you should do. You make the decision thing that, you know, you look you make introspection. You look at your inner self, okay? Your inner self, and you make the, that think that seems to be the good decision that I should make. But you don't fear. And because, I'm going to tell you, the day will happen when you have a meeting with the Lord, it's going to happen. My husband, a freedom fighter, he passed away at home in his bed. A freedom fighter. <laughs> What are you thinking about that? What? No fear. <laughs> it's a freedom fighter. He went to war. He fought the war for the independence of Algeria. But he passed away in his bed. Yeah, so you never know. So. You never know. You have to be fearless, but not to put yourself, like I say, in the highway thing, that I'm not and fearless and I'm going, no, like it's a suicide. <laughs> you don't commit suicide. You do what you should do with no fear because you think that is the right thing to do. And one thing that you felt was the right thing to do was keep his legacy alive. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, putting up to his memoir, A Dream for Peace. What was uh, did you were you putting you had all of your like newspaper clippings and such and just following his life and then you know that hey the world needs to know about it well, what was the point of, of creating the memoir no you know what happened he's the one who wrote his memoir I'm unable <laughs> I don't have that capacity I'm not an author at all <laughs> he's the one who wrote his memoir and you know uh, it's because his dear friend Nanayale told him that each time people will talk to my husband, they say, okay, you know, Dr. Ambassador, you have to write about your life story because it's just, uh, you know, something incredible. It's like uh, uh, many lives in one life. So you have to write about every so It's not going to be interesting at all. Nobody will be interested with that. And uh, when, when he makes the decision, it's because he wanted to, you know, especially, he was very sad about, you know, what was happening about, you know, the religion, like, uh, like people not understanding about each other and all those things with, with extremist Islamic faith. And so it's that to have a center or something like people can understand each other and not, you know, uh, the, the extremists take the lead for those things because we are all the same. We worship in a different way and we cannot pretend that the Lord will listen one prayer and not disturb the prayers of our people. So he made the decision, he thought that if he was 
he writes his memoir because that's what the gentleman asked him to do. We can, the proceeds can go to charity and to create the uh, Dr. William Vera Interface Center, Foundation Interface Center. That's the only reason. But what happened in between when he passed away and now, why it, it took so long? Because he wrote in French, and my husband, <laughs> traditional, he, he, his memoir was handwritten. So, and I'm not at all internet savvy. I have to have uh, to to have to dictate that to someone will typewrite huh, his memoir, mm -hmm. and uh, I have to have someone else tr uh, the, translate. But I have to supervise the translation in English because he wanted that in English too. Uh, and so, and then the editor will edit. So it took a long time, and I went at my own pace because when he, he passed, uh, I get sick right away. Ten days later, I have a heart attack in, in intestinal ischemia uh, because mm. I was so, you know. And I didn't know that we could be still together. Now I know that, you know, uh, his body uh, passed, he passed his body, but his soul is with me, and we are doing everything together. And the, our mission is to help people to understand that they can, you know, still worship in their own way, but they can accept the other way people will worship. And people uh, shouldn't be, uh, look strange to them because they worship in a different way. So that's what happened. So the French book was published by L'Archipel. Uh, it's a, a part of the Hachette group. It was published in France, in France, in Paris, last year. And then uh, I took, I asked the publisher, it's a, such a wonderful man. I told him, you know, I live, I'm now an American citizen, I live in the United States, and I want to, his foundation, to publish the, the, the American version, The Dream for Peace, you see? And that's what happened. So his foundation took in charge to, to publish uh, Dream for Peace instead of going to L'Archipel who can have the right to publish in all languages, but I kept the, ra the right for the English language. That's what I, my husband wrote his book. I cannot, how can I know the details when he was <laughs> flying, he flew from France to go, I don't know. Uh, even mm -hmm. if he told me, I was not, uh, it's not the same thing. If you read his book, you will see that nobody can write his book for him. <laughs> nobody. Mm -hmm. it's not, it's and that's what I, happened. I I got two big thing takeaways from that. One is everyone it's just so amazing because his life was so amazing. And yet he still felt, oh, nobody wants to hear my story. And I, I think the big takeaway is everyone has a story inside of them that we can all be inspired by and learn from. And it could be timeless, you know. Yes, so, absolutely. See, uh-huh. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh-huh. The other thing I wanted to ask you, because we had started to go on it offline, and we were going over your name, uh, Marguerite Berra, and as it relates to uh, Gollum Berra, and we were asking what would you like to be named, and I'd like for you to go into your definition or explanation as to why uh, you wanted to have the association with your husband's name and keeping that legacy. Uh uh, what, I, uh, what I said to you when we are offline, that means that when people that we didn't know me before or something call me just Marguerite, I don't feel at ease because I'm, do I'm doing what I'm doing 
because of my husband. His name has to be next to mine. We are, uh, his soul is alive, and we are living together in a different way. When we say Marguerite Brewer, okay, we are together. But when you say Marguerite, you're taking him away from me. And I don't want that if it not, was not him and what we decide, our mission together that I'm continuing, that the interface, uh, because, for our, because of our 40 years marriage, uh, I won't be here talking to you. So why should I accept Marguerite? No, it's Marguerite Vera or Mrs. Vera. And that's why, because we are one. I don't want anyone taking him away from him, me, you know, and me from him. And that's the only reason. No, I, I think it's beautiful. And I just think in, in 2019, we, we, there's the conversation of knowing your DNA and DNA testing and ancestry and all that. And other cultures, it's easier for them to follow a person's uh, lineage, you know, through the name and this person was married to this person. Whereas in the, in the U.S., it's been more of a challenge because uh, they're not keeping that legacy, one, of their, of their spouse. And then two, if they have multiple marriages, they, they, on paper at least, it looks like the other marriages didn't exist. So uh, I, that's why I wanted you to share your story. You, so what is your question? I didn't quite understand. No, it wasn't more so the question. It was more of a statement of I appreciating you sharing that story because, you know, when, uh-huh. we, when we, if we're living in the present time, you know, it makes sense. But if, if someone's looking back, like if I'm reading your memoir, this is stuff that's going, uh, your marriage is 40 years, it's covering his whole life, and then generations will learn about that. And then they can and, and tie the pieces together. Whereas in the, in the U.S., in my opinion, it's harder to follow along just because uh, people aren't promoting their spouse's legacy to the extent that you are. Yes, but you know, you know what I, I'm always humble uh, with that because, you know, people, they, they do what they can. They try hard to do something, but sometimes they can't for some reason, you know, and so... I cannot blame them because I don't, I'm not in their shoe, you know. But I know that people, they will, uh, they will try hard to do the, you know, to try to do the right thing, you see. So after that, what happened is, like, you know, as I said for, uh, at the beginning, you have two and you are one. If you, you decide to get married, you become one. So, but you have really to believe in that. Otherwise, if you get married for some reason, a different reason, you know, it's different. So you can live together without being like a real, uh, uh, without being a real couple. Each person is like next to each other, and each person is doing its own thing. No, but if you make the decision, and you know, that's something very important. You cannot get married and being like only you are one, but the person was watching over you and ha- makes things happen is the Lord. Like the, way, the day you get married, really, you are you, the has, uh, spouse, and the Lord. And you ask him all the time. You take, it's a commitment. You say, I'm going to try my best to make that person happy. So you try your hardest to make that person happy. And the Lord will help you. And it's like, uh, love is like a garden. Every single day, you have to remove the dead leaves. 
If you don't do that, you will have only, you know, dead leaves all over. You have to do that. You have to every single day. And you water your garden, you remove the dead leaves, and it looks beautiful. If you do that, you can see at the right moment that it's beautiful. But, and then if you keep things in your mind, you, want, you don't want to talk about, he has done that, she has done that, she has done that, huh, huh, she will see, no, no fight. It's not necessary. You can disagree on something. Huh? I, many times I was disagreeing with my, uh, on something with my husband. But you can do that with peace. And you get to a common, you know, in a common ground and make a decision together. Think, okay, that I was wrong. If you are wrong, you say I was wrong. There is nothing wrong saying that I'm, I was wrong. <laughs> Some people, our ego are so big that they cannot say, I, I was wrong. I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I make a mistake. Okay, forgive me. Okay, I'm going to do better next time. And that's it. You know, that's the ego that we all have to work on that. And I say, if not the Lord will help us, we cannot. Because we are all human beings, that's it. No, I love that. And, and, and your husband was such at the forefront of highlighting religious tolerance and what it seems like the same principles apply from not only your marriage, but just in your overall life. Uh, what would you say as a, in, in closing as to uh, addressing the religious intolerance that exists today? You know, uh, religious intolerance, I would say what I'm, you know, I, I, I would like to do and I'm, my whole life, what the Lord wanted me to live, I want to consecrate that to religious harmony, interreligious harmony. Tolerance, I don't like that word really, because uh, tolerance that I tolerate you. No, I accept you, I embrace you. You can worship the way you want. We are all in the same boat. We are human beings. You have to look at what you know, we have in common. You are human beings. We live, even if we live 100 years, it's going to be short but because we are just human. So that human brotherhood, we have to, it's sacred. So let your neighbor worship the way you want to worship. And if some people deviate, like the extremists, don't think that like all Muslim extremists. So many are normal. They teach the love of God and the love of our neighbor. Some, cra- some extremists can say, do things like, you have extremists in all, of, all over, in all religions, we have extremists. But the just distant people want to worship the word you want. And you know that, you think that it's difficult when you see your neighbor with the Jewish on, on Friday, you say Shabbat Shalom, because he's going to start his Shabbat at the, the end of uh, Friday. It's, a, it's not difficult, because, and I say always, the Lord wants to be worshipped the whole weekend. They start with the Muslim, the Gemma fire at uh, uh, Friday, uh, uh, like one o'clock, and then sunset, we go to the Jewish uh, Shabbat until Saturday night, the Shabbat ended. And then Sunday, that's a Christian. So the Lord likes to be worshipped the whole weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's the Buddhists, they do a different things. They try to do good things. And that's, you know, we are just human. It's not tolerate. It has just harmony. Mm. 
And and where could people pick up the Dream for Peace, uh, his memoir, your husband's memoir? Amazon, 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 Barnes and Noble, all you know, all those, any the you know, even uh, like any bookstore, you can order. It's the any bookstore you can have it. You just have to order it because it's on demand. It's, you just have to order it everywhere. Amazon, that and everywhere. You can be in Australia, you can be anywhere in Australia, everywhere you can ask, and uh, they will have, you have the book. Nice. And is there any other contact information if people want to get in touch with you to learn more about what's going on with you and your godchildren and uh, more information? Uh, It would be a perfect time for you to leave that as well. You have the the foundation website, is www berafoundation.org and so uh, we have the that the website and then we have the the contact uh, for that, uh, the contact is in here in there and uh, anything you know myself or my team will answer and get uh, you know get in touch with because you know the idea that Vera foundation and that the inter- we want everybody to be uh, to get involved in that they just you know, as I say, it's not difficult when you see a Jewish. They Shabbat Shalom on Friday. You will smile. That means, oh, you acknowledge that I'm a Jewish. You know, and there is nothing wrong about that. And in the Aid, when it's uh, the end of Ramadan, you can say, Aid Mubarak, it's not difficult. It's too warm. You can say, you know, have a good Sunday or enjoy your mass or something to the Christian, it's so easy. Instead of, oh, they look so strange. That's a Muslim thing. Oh, that's a Jewish thing. That's a, uh, you know, it's, I, I feel so bad and it's hurt me so badly when I hear things like that all over. I say, oh my Lord, it's so easy. Why be complicated things? We're simple. You see? So that's uh, the contact that you, any, you see. Absolutely. And so you have just been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. And I'm David. Uh, Marguerite Barra, it was a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, I'd love to stay in touch if we may. Yes, of course. Of course, we will. Of course, we have many things to do together. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your time. Thanks again for checking out another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective podcast. Please check us out on our website at intrinsicmotivation.life where you can click on the speak pipe button and leave any suggestions for a future podcast that you'd like us to cover. Also check us out on our social media sites. We have a YouTube channel, Facebook page, iTunes podcast, in addition to Stitcher and Google Play, all under Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. Check you out next time. Have a great day.